morning and welcome to Alger Assembly of God. We welcome you back to the series entitled Why. We've, we've spent a number of weeks uh, looking at a number of different topics. And uh, so far, we've covered why don't I always feel God? Wondering, uh, sometimes what we feel as if we're, we're not close to God. What's, what's happened? What's changed? We spent a number of weeks looking at why doesn't God answer my prayers? And uh, we looked at some, uh, some possible biblical answers and, and some of the guidelines to that, knowing that God does desire to answer. But we said, why, why does it feel like maybe my prayers are not answered? Around Pentecost Sunday, we spent a number of weeks looking at why Pentecost? Looking to see what the Word of God had to say and answer some of those biblical questions. The last several weeks, uh, we spent some time on uh, what we said is probably that number one question. I referenced it earlier in our prayer time. It's the, why do bad things happen? Where is God when bad things happen? Why doesn't God stop this? And uh, it's, it's been that struggle to try to understand that in the midst of difficulty, you and I have a, a free will. God's not created us as a robot. He's not, uh, you know, controlling our desires and, and controlling our actions as a robot. There are individuals who choose to do a lot of great things, a lot of good things, a lot of godly things. Certainly there's individuals who choose to do a lot of evil and sinful and wrong things. And we're, we're in a world filled with that. We mentioned a, a couple overarching principles uh, that we try to hopefully stand on is to turn to God and to trust in Him. So we spent some, some time trying to examine that big why question. We're going to look to uh, probably our final why question as far as this series is concerned. I might take this week and next week uh, to kind of explore it. But the final question to look at in this series is, why would God use me? Why would God use me? I mean, look around and we see some pretty interesting characters in this place, right? All of you are looking up this way and you see a pretty interesting character holding a microphone. And we look around and we say, why would God choose to use me in his kingdom. Sometimes followed up with the why would God use me is often the other question or the follow-up that says, well, God, why don't you just use him? Why don't you just use her? They're much better than me, God. So we'll spend maybe this week and next week just kind of exploring that question. Why would God use me? Because here's the thing we understand. God does have a plan and God has a purpose for you and for me and wants to use us in a mighty way and to use us to do something significant for his kingdom. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God can use you to do something significant for his kingdom? I trust you do. I want to encourage you with that. God does, God can, and God will use you and me to do something significant for his kingdom. To use us for his honor and for his glory, but still we have questions and we say, why God? Why would God, why would God use someone like me? 
Maybe you've had some of these questions when it comes to being used of God, whether it's here in the church or being used of God in the community or being used of God for reaching somebody for Jesus. You say, well, why would God use me? I mean, I really don't know enough of the Bible. And we say, well, well, I know someone who does, so surely God would use that person to, to tell somebody about Jesus. I mean, God certainly wouldn't use me because I don't know enough of the Bible like so-and-so does. Maybe you've, you've had that question kind of come across your mind or your heart. Why would God use me? I don't know enough about his word. Or you say, why would God want to use me in his kingdom? I don't know that I have any real talents for God. Oh, but we can, we can spot talent in somebody else, can't we? Well, God sure can use this person because that person's gifted or talented. or They've got all of these abilities, but poor old me, I, I, don't, I can't do anything for God. Sometimes we wonder, well, why would God use me? I don't know enough about his word. Maybe I don't, don't feel like I have the talents or abilities. Some people would say, why would God use me? Doesn't he know I still lose my temper? Any of you have a big temper? If so, you might not be admitting it. We say, well, why would God want to use me? In other words, there's, there's a shortcoming in my life. God wouldn't want to use me because I'm still wrestling with and still dealing with and still struggling with this. We say, well, why would God use me? Sometimes I still kind of have my doubts about things. I'm not a spiritual giant. I, I, I've not been a Christian that long. Why would God use me? Doesn't God know? Man, I've messed up big time. Why would God use somebody like me? If you've ever had a, a thought like that, a, a question like that, you've ever felt that way or wondered something like that, the good news is you're not alone because chances are good that just about everybody else in this place has had a very similar question. It's that why. God, why would you, why would you want to use me to tell somebody else about Jesus? Certainly, that, that's someone else's job. Just let the pastor do it. He went to Bible college. There's all kinds of things that God might want to use us for in his kingdom. And many times we're sitting around saying, God, why? Let somebody else do it, God, because I can't. So if you have some of those thoughts, you're in good company because lots of people in God's kingdom have had those thoughts. In fact, lots of people in the word of God have had those same thoughts and comments and beliefs. So this week and, and next week, we'll take a look at a, a handful of some of these biblical characters who really had some of the same thoughts. Why, God? Why would you choose me? Why would you use me? And what we'll see is we've got a lot in common with these biblical characters, and yet God has chosen to use them, and God chooses to use you and me for his honor and glory. These are, these are some well-known biblical characters. You know the stories. Uh, we're going to kind of abbreviate some of them as we're going to look through probably a couple of them today and a couple next week. 
Why would God choose to use me? Because number one, God chooses to use the unlikely. The unlikely. Now, we can all look around and say, well, here's the likely one for God to use. You remember in high school, perhaps, when the yearbook was coming up and being made? Not every school did this, but, but sometimes they would have, you know, most likely to succeed. You ever remember voting on that or, or, or reading that in your yearbook? What kind of person came to mind? What kind of person was the person who received that? These are people that we think they've got it all together, right? They've got, all, they've got the whole package. Maybe it's the package of looks. Maybe it's the package of talent or skills. Maybe it's the package of smarts. Maybe it's the package of, of people skills. But these are individuals that in school, your classmate said, this person over here, they're most likely to succeed. Which also means when you read that, you start looking at yourself saying, am I likely to succeed? Am I likely to be used in one of these areas or categories? Am I likely to do well? And we wonder, because many times we don't think we're very likely for anything. That's what one of our biblical characters, Judges chapter 6 uh, years ago, we, we spent a, a number of months going uh, verse by verse through the entire Gideon uh, saga, if you would. One of my favorite biblical characters. We'll give you just the abbreviated Clefsnote version. But in Judges chapter 6, God chooses to use a man by the name of Gideon to be one of his judges, to be an individual that he uses to accomplish a specific purpose. But much like you and I, he felt unlikely. Judges 6, beginning in verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Let's stop there. Threshing wheat in a wine press. A wine press is not used to thresh wheat. A wine press is used to press grapes to make wine. Two completely different items, two completely different actions and activities, and two completely different locations where this would take place. Where would you normally thresh wheat? It would typically be on a hilltop or a hillside. You would be up high, up tall, and you would thresh or you would beat the wheat to get rid of uh, some of the, the excess parts of the wheat, the chaff. The chaff would be blown away and, and you would end up with the wheat. So it's typically done up high. It's a, a lot more visible if you're on kind of a, a hilltop where the wind can kind of blow through. That's typically where you would thresh wheat. Now, where would you press grapes for the wine press? That, that would often be kind of down, maybe more down in the valley. You'd get all of your grapes together and press and stomp. And so he wasn't wanting to be up on the, on the mountaintop where the big bad bullies could see him. 
We're about to, to see some of these bad guys, the Midianites, right? He was, he was kind of scared. He was timid. These, these Midianites were pretty strong and pretty powerful. So he was not wanting to be visible where everybody could see him. Hey, I've got some grain here. They would basically come and they would steal everything that was produced and prepared. So we are presented with Gideon. He's not out in the open threshing wheat. He's trying to thresh wheat but do it in a wine press so that he's not noticed. Verse 12. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Turn to the person next to you, or turn to the person in front of you, turn to the person behind you and say, with conviction and some energy, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Let's do it. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, some of you might be just as surprised to hear that spoken to you as Gideon. Because you see yourself as kind of an unlikely person to be called mighty warrior. Much the same way you look at the, the yearbooks and you look at the person who was voted most likely to succeed. Many of you might look to yourself and say, well, that's not me. Well, I can, I can think of somebody else who is very likely to succeed, but I would never put myself in that category. Many of you are saying that. So when you hear even, even as a simple exercise, the person next to you or in front or behind you say, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior, you kind of ch chuckled. You kind of smiled because you didn't quite see that in yourself. And that's all right because Gideon didn't quite see that in his self either. He considered himself rather unlikely to be used of God. He certainly isn't the strongest. He certainly isn't the, the most courageous because he's threshing wheat in a wine press to be hidden. And the angel of the Lord shows up and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. He probably looks around and says, who's this warrior? And I better get out of here now. But the angel was speaking to him. Gideon's response to the angel is much like your and my response to God. It's questions. Verse 13, Well, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, as you say, why has all this happened to us? There's one of those first questions, the why. I mean, you say that the Lord's with me, you call me a mighty warrior, but why has all this bad stuff happened? What's he referring to? The Israelites have basically been overtaken by the Midianites. They come in. When the crops are produced, they just come in and take what they want. They're kind of like the, the, the big bully taking the lunch money. God, we're in trouble. Things aren't going well. And you say, hey, the Lord's with you, mighty warrior. Well, if you're really with us, then why are all these bad things happening? Fits right into what we're talking about in this why series. He's saying, Why? And he follows up the why with the where. He says, where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? You know, they've, they've heard stories about God. The Exodus bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. 
All the, the miracles and the wonders. And then God overseeing them throughout the, the wilderness for many years and bringing them into the promised land. You can imagine how those stories have been told, how those accounts have been passed on for generations. And Gideon saying, but nothing like that's happening now. Maybe, maybe you feel that way. I've heard about the testimonies of God years ago, right? The testimonies of my grandparents. Man, it seemed like God was always doing, doing something mighty in my grandparents. You think about your parents. God's, oh, I hear all these great things about what God has done in my parents' lives. Maybe think about your own life. But you think about it in past tense, years ago. I remember God doing all of these mighty things in my life, but, well, that's been a while. Right now, God, sure seems like, sure feels like some pretty lean times. Nothing's happening. If you're really with me, why are all these things happening? And where are the wonders? Where are these incredible, mighty moves of God? Questions that we ask. Because we feel unlikely to be used of him. Verse 14, the Lord turns and says, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Now, you would think right then he should just jump up and, and you know, lift his hand in the air and say, Aha, I'm with you, God. You are with me. Yes, charge. It doesn't, doesn't quite turn around that fast, does it? I mean, Gideon asked the why question. He asked the where are you? And in verse 15, he asks how. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. What's he saying? God, why would you want to use someone like me? Why would you send this angel of the Lord to come tell me I'm a mighty warrior? Why would you choose to use me, God? I'm an unlikely candidate. He says, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. He's basically saying, I'm the worst of the worst. I'm the least of the least. Like many of us, no doubt, in his mind, he's looking around, he's thinking about somebody else in his family who's stronger than him. Or somebody else in another clan. Or somebody else in this other, you know, factor of Israel. Man, I've bumped into so-and-so. He's strong. He's powerful. He's mighty. Why don't you send your angel to him, God? Because I feel awful unlikely. That hits home. Every single one of us, we look around and we say, well, God, why would you use me for this? We feel unlikely. God's saying, I choose to use you. Yes, God chooses to use the unlikely candidates. We look around and you can see many individuals that God has used in churches, 
as missionaries, as leaders, as pastors, as speakers, in a whole variety of ways, many times they're unlikely candidates. I've shared with you over the years how I got thrown onto the drums as a young youth pastor. I look back and say, that's a pretty unlikely thing for God to use me in. Saxophone, yes. I had been trained. I learned in fifth grade how to play the saxophone in, in middle school. I was in the band, sixth and seventh and eighth grade. I played hours and hours and hours, and I knew everything about that. High school, I decided not to play in high school band, but I, I played in church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Went to Bible college, played saxophone Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Go to first place of ministry and do what? Play the saxophone. Every so often, lead worship. But to be thrown onto the drums, because our drummer wasn't there on a Sunday night, and my pastor says, Pastor Mark, you're playing drums. My first thought was he was joking. My second thought was, why me? Pretty unlikely candidate. Candidate to, to play the saxophone? Yes. Candidate to lead worship? Yes. Never sat down at a drum set. Never had a lesson on a drums. I've shared, I kind of stumbled my way through it. And a few months later, got thrown onto it again. And after that, I said, God, you have to help me in this. If it happens a third time, I've I got I to be ready. I began to just put some Christian music on in the sanctuary, pick up some drumsticks and say, God, help me to play what I hear. Help me to try to match some of these beats and have an understanding should this happen again. It's kind of wild. I view that as highly unlikely. And yet for the last 20 to 25 years, I've played more drums by far than saxophone. I've taught other people how to play drums. How crazy and unlikely is that? To have played hundreds and by now probably thousands of church services in youth and in church with not one lesson I say God that is crazy unlikely and somehow God has chosen to use that I would never have thought that maybe there's some things you're thinking about or, or some things you're not even contemplating and God's kind of nudging or prompting you with and you say ha, 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 you're crazy God <laughs> me on the drums it might not be you on the drums. It might be something else. You feel like God's kind of nudging you towards a, an area, maybe in ministry here at the church, maybe in, in ministry in the community, maybe getting involved, maybe in sharing your story, your testimony, sharing about Jesus. And whatever it is, you feel a nudge, God wanting to use you for something, and you say, whoa, not me. I'm, I'm unlikely to be used. Why me, God? might just be like Gideon. See, God saw something in Gideon Gideon didn't see. Did my pastor see something in me that I didn't see? I don't know. Maybe. 
Maybe he just wanted the fun of a potential train wreck. I, I don't know. <laughs> but God saw something in Gideon. The angel of the Lord said, Greetings, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon sure didn't think, sure didn't feel like the warrior. But God saw what he could be, not just what he was. So I want to encourage us this morning. Be open and be sensitive to what God might be speaking into your heart, into your life. To be used of God here at the church. To be used of God in your community. To be used of God in your family. And you say, oh, I couldn't do this. And you fill in the blank. I couldn't do this, God. I'm very unlikely. I'll tell you who would be great at that. And we start thinking about this person, this person, this person, this person. God, you just go nudge them. In fact, I'll go tell them for you. God's saying, no. I choose to use you. You might think of yourself as unlikely, but I see that this is something that you can do because I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help you. As we spent time going verse by verse through that entire passage and, and the, the following chapters, we saw God use Gideon in a mighty way. Was he unlikely? Yes. But it was God with him, God speaking to him, God prompting him. And I believe that God's wanting to do that in you and in me this morning. God, why would you choose to use me? Many times, God chooses to use the unlikely. Secondly, this morning, not only does God choose to use the unlikely, God many times chooses to use the insecure. Insecure. People who look to themselves and say, no way, no how, I can do this. I invite you to turn back to Exodus chapter 3 and 4. So we take a look at Moses. Moses, the man of God. Moses, who had been raised, if you remember, raised in the, in the palace. This little boy and floating amongst the bulrushes. And raised in the palace, yet kind of rebelled against. And remember, he killed an Egyptian and ran away, was in the wilderness for many years. God was speaking to him. And now in Exodus chapter 3, God had gotten Moses' attention through a burning bush. A bush that was burning but not burning up. You would think that would be the first clue, right? Whoa, God must be really serious. God's getting my attention. This thing is on fire, but it's not burning up. Wow, if God can do that, God can do anything. Yet Moses was insecure. Moses, what was like us many times, saying, no, no, not me, not me. He gets Moses' attention through the burning bush. He says he's going to use Moses to deliver the Israelites. He's going to bless them. All you got to do, Moses, is go before the Pharaoh and tell him, we got to bring our, our people out. That's it. How many of you would say, no thanks, God? Go before the most powerful leader, the most scary leader, and, and tell him something he doesn't want to hear? I don't think so, God. Moses wonders, 
how God could use somebody. He's rather insecure about his abilities. Exodus 3, verse 11, Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? It's a very common question we would say. <laughs> Who am I? Who am I, God, that you would want to choose me? I'll tell you who you want to use. We look around the sanctuary. We think about, uh, I know someone else in this church, God, that would be great for what you're thinking of. I know someone else in my family who would be great for what you're thinking of. And God's saying, I choose to use you. Moses is asking the question many of us do, who am I? I mean, I grew up in the palace and all, but who am I that I'm going to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let, us, let our people go? God answers. He tells Moses, I'm going to be with you. Well, Moses has another objection. Verse 13, Moses said, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? I mean, then what? Now what? What now, God? Question after question, objection after objection, excuse after excuse. God says, I am who I am. And he reinforces, he says, Moses, you're going to go before Pharaoh. Uh, here's some bad news, though, Moses. Uh, Pharaoh's not going to let you go. But I'm going to do some signs. I'm going to do some wonders. And not only will they eventually allow you to leave. This is going to be cool, Moses. You're going to plunder the Egyptians. God tells them that in Exodus chapter 3, well before any of this happens. Go before Pharaoh. He won't let you. I'm going to do some incredible miracles. And eventually, it's going to happen. And as you leave, you're going to plunder them I'm going to bless you through them. <laughs> and Moses is thinking, yeah, right, God. How is that going to happen? He is not just thinking that he is unlikely. He's thinking he is insecure. So Exodus chapter 4, verse 1, here's the next objection. Well, what if they don't believe me or listen to me? And they say, the Lord didn't appear to you. I mean, I know you told me to say I am who I am, but what if they object then? I mean, God's answered every single thing. God gets pretty serious here. I mean, Moses isn't just doubting himself. He's not just insecure about himself. He's almost doubting God. God says, okay, if they do that, I tell you what. What's that thing in your hand? Uh, it's, it's my staff. He says, all right. Throw it on the ground. And he throws it on the ground. Turns into a snake. He probably jumps back in fear. Pretty cool, huh? All right, Moses. Now what I want you to do is pick it up by the tail. Uh, are, are you sure, God? <laughs> well, unless you want to pick it up by the head. But yeah, pick it up by the tail. Moses, tentatively, you know, he, he reaches down. He grabs it by the tail and whoosh. Back to the staff, back, back to the, the stick, the rod. He said, well, if you like that, you'll like this. Okay, Moses, take your hand out and put it inside your cloak. Now pull it out. It was leprous. The Bible says as white as snow. 
He said, all right. Now put it back in your cloak. He puts it in his cloak, takes it back out, clean, healthy, whole. He says, Moses, do the first thing. They might believe it. If not, do the second thing. They might believe it. If not, Moses, followed up with this crowd stopper, show stopper. Take, take some water and just dump it on the ground. I'm going to turn it to blood. Can you imagine all of these things God's doing to show and convince Moses, I'm choosing to use you? From the very beginning, the bush that's on fire but not burning up, and God answers and God answers and God answers and gives signs and signs and wonders. And you would think after the staff to the snake to the staff to the hand to the leprosy to the hole, Moses is going to get it, right? Exodus 4, verse, verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. See how he's, he's kind of shifting. Initially, he's saying, I'm unlikely, and, and God, I, I don't think it could be me. And God's answering all the objections saying, I'm choosing you, I'm going to use you, and, and the stick and the snake to the stick. That took place with God's power. So Moses, he objects to the, the one thing that God hasn't shown him how to do yet. He says, God, I can't speak. I mean, the whole thing is you said, you want me to go before Pharaoh and, and give this speech or something and tell him to let, let my people go, but I can't do that. See, we're, we're insecure about some different areas. We say, well, okay, well, maybe, God, I could serve in this area, but there's no way I would ever do this. We give in to one small thing, but we keep our resistance to other areas. We say, surely, God, you would never want to use me in this area over here. Because, I mean, other people are doing it. They're much better than me, and there's a whole bunch of others, and I, I can't do this. God, I can't speak. I mean, I, I can take my staff, and I can throw it on the ground. Yeah, I can do that. I can even reach down and grab the snake by the tail I didn't really want to, God, but I did that. And it's pretty easy, God, to take my hand and put it in my cloak and take it out and put it in my hand and take it out. It's kind of like the hokey pokey, God. I've practiced that. And God, I, I can take water and spill it or throw it on the ground. I mean, all of those things I can do. But God, this is something I can't. Ever told God something that you can't do? You say, God, I just, I don't think I could do this. I mean, I know you've called me. I, I know you've nudged me, God, but I just don't think I can, I can really do what you're saying. I felt called as a, as a young boy to ministry. My dad was a pastor and brothers were in ministry. As a young boy, younger than 10, I felt a call to full-time ministry, whatever that looked like. Probably some kind of Pastor. So I go to Bible college. You know, I went to Central Bible College in Springfield, Missouri. Had a Bible major. After my junior year, in between junior and senior year, doing an internship, and 
did my internship at James River Assembly of God, large church. At that time, I started attending probably when they were about 2,000. By that time, they were probably, I don't know, 4,000, just a couple years in. I did an internship where I had an opportunity to kind of serve in a, in a bunch of different areas. In one week, I'd, I'd be in the nursery, and, and I was watching little kids. I, I was in uh, you know, girls' ministry and boys' ministry and, and all, all these different things. I, I was out in the parking lot. I was, I was duplicating tapes. I was making photocopies. I was cleaning restrooms. I mean, I was doing it all, getting a, a glimpse of ministry. One of the Wednesdays, I was, I was scheduled to sit in on the youth service. They really didn't have anything for me to do, but I was just to, to kind of sit in and be a part of that. Large, large church, large youth ministry. I remember that, that night. I mean, there's, there's hundreds of young people. The youth pastors getting up and preaching the word of God. And I remember thinking and speaking in my heart to God. God, I can't do this. By then, I was, I was understanding that more than likely uh, where I would begin in ministry was probably going to be some form of associate, and, and, and I believe God was probably nudging me or leading me towards youth. And so here I am in, in this youth service, and I'm looking around. There's probably two, 300 young people. How in the world can I do this, God? I remember feeling just like Moses in that spot. Okay, God, I, I can be used of you, but I don't know about this. God very clearly nudged me and guided and directed me towards youth. And in God's maybe sense of humor, I thought there's no way I could, I could preach to you know, a couple hundred, two, three hundred young people. And a few months later, I was selected to preach senior chapel at CBC in front of a thousand plus. All of the student body, all of the faculty and staff and administration. Now it's obviously not been hundreds every week. I thought, God, you've got a call on me. I can, I can do only so much. God just simply said, be faithful to where I'm calling you and placing you. If that's the thousand plus, that senior chapel, do it faithfully. If that's the seven or eight that I started with in youth ministry, be faithful. Much like Moses, we say, God, I can't. We're insecure. We say, I don't have it in me, God. And God maybe shows us some, some little things. Maybe you've been a part of a little something in ministry here at the church, or you've done a couple things. Maybe you take a small step of faith in, in reaching someone in your family or in your job or in the community. So we take these small steps, and then we kind of crouch back and, and, and pull back and say, that was, that was enough. That, that was plenty, God. And maybe God's wanting to nudge us or encourage us towards something else in ministry. Whether that's here at the church, whether that's in our community, whether that's in our home, our family, our, our job. We say like Moses, I can't. I can't speak. I mean, maybe, God, you can get me to do these other things over here, but surely not speaking. Surely not teaching. Surely not talking to somebody about Jesus. That's for other people to do. 
I'll just, I'll just bring them to a church service and, and let pastor or a board member or a Sunday school teacher, I'll just let somebody, anybody but me do it. Maybe God's wanting to use you. Maybe God's choosing to use you. Moses says, I can't. So when Exodus 4.13, Moses says, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. You ever thought that? Okay, God, I understand this is important. I understand people need to know about you. I understand these ministries are important, but God, anybody but me. Surely there's someone else who wants to help in the girls' ministry. Anybody but me, God. Surely there's someone who wants to help out in boys' ministry or in Sunday school or any of these other areas of ministry of the church or, or reaching somebody in the community. Well, there's this other Christian over here. Surely, God, you would want to use them. Moses said, send somebody, anybody but me. Even with all these incredible signs, even with these wonders, even with God's patience and all of these things, Moses keeps saying, no, I can't. Maybe many of you have had some of those similar thoughts. Well, I mean, if, if I was outgoing like so-and-so, well, certainly I'd, I'd step right into this area of ministry. Certainly, I'd, I'd just tell everybody in my job, tell everybody in my family about God, but I'm just not like so-and-so. We're insecure. We say, God, I can't do it. I don't like crowds. Just give, me, give me a small group or give me one person. And then God nudges you towards that one person. And you say, whoa, God, I don't want to do that. Or we say, I'm too young. Or we say, I'm too old. Or say, God, I don't have the time. God, I'm too busy. God, I just don't know that I can do this. See, when God spoke to Gideon, he said, go in the strength that you have. Go in the strength that I'm sending you with. And with Moses, he eventually does relent. He says, okay, I'll have you and Aaron. Together you'll go. He equips he helps. He's with you and me. We might not be confident in ourselves, but we can be confident in God that's with us, his strength and his power that's with us. God knew what he was doing when he created you and he created me. God's got some, not, not just as he has some good things in store, but God's wanting to use you. He's wanting to use me for his honor, for his glory. There's a lot of ways that we can be used for God. Be open, be sensitive, be ready for what God might choose to do. God's going to help us. God's going to be with us. God's going to teach us and stretch us, perhaps. What is God wanting you and I to do? It might involve us stepping out in faith to see what he might want us to do. In our church, in our community, in our homes, in our, in our families, in our jobs. It's easy and it's comfortable to sit back and say, someone else can do this. Someone else can reach people. Someone else can tell them about Jesus. Someone else can get involved in this ministry. Someone else can begin this. Someone else, someone else, someone else. And yet I believe that God's wanting to use you. God's wanting to use me. In some pretty incredible ways.
Step out and find out. Because God often chooses to use the unlikely. And God often chooses to use those insecure who feel like we just can't do it. God's wanting to use you. He's wanting to use me for his honor and for his glory.